All right, so hello everyone. Uh, my name is Vikas Agrawal. I'm the founder of AIF and PMS Experts India. So firstly, I would like to take this opportunity to thank all the participants for taking their time out from their busy schedule and joining me today. With me today, I have uh, Kenneth and uh, Ruchi from World Trade Investments. Uh, uh, well, it's a very special day. I think it took me some time to uh, get an opportunity to book his calendar and and get him on the show of Ask the Expert. So at AIF and PMS Experts India, we uh, uh, you know, we have taken the lead of uh, educating and empowering investors with more knowledge and wisdom from portfolio managers. And this is one special day where I have Kenneth with me. Kenneth is perhaps one of the you know uh, old uh, and one of the you know best portfolio managers in India, and has spent over thirty years in capital markets. So he's the CIO at, at Old Bridge, and before that he had. Work with large organizations like IDFC as chief investment officer. In fact, Ruchi had a chance to work with him. So uh, in his previous organization, so you know it's a insane same team working together uh, at Old Bridge and uh, and uh, trying to deliver the deliverables in the head of investors. So uh, uh, thank you so much for accepting our request, Kenneth. Uh, you know it is pleasure to have you in our show called Ask the Expert. Thank you, Vikas. Thanks. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on on with you. Thank you, Ruchi, for helping us to put up this beautiful show. Uh, there are a lot of requests from a lot of uh, investors, and they wanted me to request Kenny to come on the show and speak to our investors. Pleasure, pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, everyone, for joining in today. Thank you. So uh, the format of the show is very simple, Kenny. What we do is we uh, typically tend to ask few questions on behalf of our investors, and these are the questions that we keep getting from a uh, number of investors. And then we'll come to the topic uh, which we have decided, and then uh, we can run the presentation. Uh, so the first question from in my mind is, uh, you know, can uh, if you spend more than thirty years? In fact, you I think you began your career with Sherkan, if if I'm not wrong, long back. And uh, uh, you know, very difficult to uh, to sort of uh, share your experience of thirty years. But if you could uh, share some highlights about your thirty years of experience, how do you? Uh, how did you uh, look at markets and how do you look at now? Uh, sure, Vikas. Um, I mean, I actually started in 1990, and uh, my first assignment used to be with a with a magazine called Capital Market Magazine. Sharekan happened with to me in 2000. Okay, Kotak happened to me in 2003, uh, and then IDFC took over in 2005, which was earlier called uh, Standard Chartered. And then I decided to venture out of by myself with. Uh, uh, with Oldbridge Capital Management, I think it's been a, a significant uh, uh, learning process, and all I can say is that the uh, experience has been very enriching. Uh, I think the biggest highlight of my career, or biggest highlight that what brought me up to the stage, is uh, between 1990 and and, and 2000. Uh, it was a very strange period because we hardly saw a bull market after the Russian Meta. Uh, collapse. Right? Uh, you had FIS come into the marketplace, and that was a temporary bull market on a very select uh, few companies that went up. But most of the 90s, uh, you very rarely made money. Uh, it was very unlike what we did in the last decade, or even probably in the previous decade. And corrections were quite, uh, I mean, they weren't as severe as they are today, uh, but they used to actually grind down. Uh, but over that period of time, I think the only uh, the only uh, the only content that we gathered 
out there. It was difficult to get content and it was difficult to get information, uh, which is quite easy right now. So we used to get content and we used to uh, we used to try and analyze most of the content. So that gave us uh, uh, gave me uh, a breadth of of coverage. So unlike analysts, what they normally do is they go deep, they take a deep dive into a type business. There, I tended to cover a lot more companies, a lot more businesses, and all of them used to come from the the the, the smaller part of the market. Uh, and it used to be interesting because uh, what it helped me develop is uh, a like for monoline companies. Now, monoline companies are companies that are to just one one part of their. Uh, they just have one product line, or they have just one uh, category of business. That it caters, uh, and I think that was the biggest learning experience that I had. I realized over over a long period of time that companies are best. Uh, companies do best at what they are good at. Okay, and till date, uh, I if I just follow that principle, uh, I just follow that principle and what companies and what what businesses and companies, uh, uh, businesses and companies that did what they were good at doing. Right. So we know about second. So we know about number two in the industry. We know about number three in the industry. We just bought companies that are good at what they were doing, and that's helped me in through through this entire journey. So two thousand and two thousand and five or two thousand and three to two thousand and twenty, which was my my actual fund management experience, I simply applied that concept. Initially, it came very intuitively. After that, I made it a practice to. Uh, to push back on any business which is significantly diversified. Okay, okay. So, Kevin, uh, you are known as one of the best brains for equities uh, in India. And uh, those days when you began your career, you used to have limitation in terms of having access to balance sheets. And you know, I'm taking you back to nineties, and you know, there were very few mines. So, when was the time when you decided that you will kind of focus more on equities? As an asset class, instead of looking at all the asset classes. Okay, there was never a period of time that I looked beyond equities. I can tell you that much. <laughs> so I started off in nineties. I was an investor in eighty five to eighty seven. Okay, uh, I didn't lose a lot of money in nineteen ninety one. I did lose a lot of money again in year two thousand. Okay, in nineteen ninety one, it wasn't my money. It was my parents' money. In year two thousand, it was my money. Okay, so it's been uh, uh, it's been a long journey, and uh, there has been enough of learning experiences, or or has, and and there's been enough of money lost, which I I end up jokingly call tuition fees paid. Okay, and, and that's the cycle that I've. So to answer your question, uh, there's never been a case where I've ever even looked at another asset class. So you've been always very passionate about equities. Uh, the other thing is, get it? You know, you, there are many names in the industry, right? From page industries, a couple of them. You, you're the first one to, uh, you know, deep dive through your own research and able to identify them at an early stage. I remember that categorically. So, would you be able to throw some more lights? How did you manage to visualize their their growth in the early stage of their growth? I would be completely wrong if I said I knew what was going to happen with page industries. Or in the previous cycle, it used to be MRF. Or some time back, or during the same cycle in two thousand and four, two thousand and five, I also held a company called Coromandel Fertilizers, and I even do hold it now. Um, so I'd be wrong to believe that I could actually see the future. I think at most you can see maybe two years, maybe three years into the future, if you are lucky. 
but there are a couple of things that you have to tick the box when it comes to it all. A company needs to be good at what it does. Okay, you have to be early into that entire business. And uh, when you're early into that entire business, you have to make sure your marginal safety is extremely high. And as you navigate the course right from uh, entering a business uh, on a on a on a on a bit on a yearly yearly or two yearly on a yearly basis, you have to make sure that the company never loses market share. It has to continue to remain focused on what it does and do it at at its optimal best. The best place to actually buy these businesses is in a down cycle. Okay, so when you look at an MRF, whether you look at a page industries or uh, whether you look at uh, a company which I held since its IPO, which is a Kaveri Seeds, uh, there will be a lot of events and there will be a lot of times where uh, where you will be forced to be shaken out of that portfolio. And you will also encounter cyclical trends in it. So every industry goes through a down cycle, even if it's a consumer business. But when you are going through a down cycle, you have to make sure, be sure and very sure that the company is gaining market share in a down cycle. Okay. And he has to have financial discipline. So once all of that is in place, when the market rebound, this company comes back with enormous amount of cash flows. And you've seen that happen time and again, time and again, because in a, in a down cycle, the competition disappears, which is why as a company, whichever company you own in whichever industry, it has to continue to get uh, more market shares. And this, uh, this entire piece of investing or this entire structure, I learned it learned because uh, I've been investing in the sugar business since 1997. Oh, okay. In 1999, there was only one profit-making company in the entire country. Okay. And uh, that company is the largest today. I have never seen a debt-free balance sheet in sugar in my, in my entire investing career. Today, you will get more than one company who is debt-free. So, so think about how that cycle is evolved. Uh, so yes, I don't try and predict the future. You are given a certain data point. You've got to interpret that data point at present. And you look at the company's past performance to see how the business has behaved. And just right through a down cycle with the company, I think over the over the next over a decade, over two decades, you make all your money through that cycle. So uh, can you talk about you, you know, nobody can predict the markets, but when you put the foundation of uh, old bridge for the first time and thereafter you saw the market started falling. So so uh, I know you, you can never get the timing right, but uh, did you ever think that it will happen or, or how is it? What was the trigger in your mind when you are planning to start this portfolio management services? No, I, I guess uh, I, I got out. I, I'm one of those few lucky professionals who like to do what they, uh, who, who, who like to do what he does and make a career out of it. Okay. And that's what, uh, and that's what has brought me here. So after a point in time, um, though every organization I've worked with or contributed immensely to what I've become, but after a point in time, it was more of the same. So I stepped out, I tried to do things on my own terms and we were lucky. We were lucky to have a down cycle so early in our life cycle. Okay. And that's also a learning process. So, so I guess the entire team is much more mature uh, after what has happened 
over the last five years and we fin just finished five years and we're extremely lucky to be where we are after five years and the investors who have, who have stayed behind and who are there with us currently uh, have benefited through the entire process okay so so i get so, so that's that's what we've done so far great great so get it the last question from my end uh before we come to the topic so uh, you know, you are one of the most respected name when it comes to equity. The way you manage funds at IUFC. Then, what was the point? When it, what was the reason that you decided that you know, your thirty years of career is one side, and then you started to build this organization? What What was the reason, if I may ask you? Well, nothing specific. It's just about investing in a certain style. When you work at an institution, you are forced to adopt multiple styles. You are forced to chase an index, and that's not my style. and as i talk through the session you will know that we are not index chasers we don't want to do better than the index okay we want to do better than what we've done in the past okay and i think that's that's what that's what that's what we set out to do in order to come out of uh, those chasing index on a monthly basis chasing in a week etc Yeah, that's that's another style of investing which uh, I'm happy happy to leave behind. Sure, sure. So coming to Ruchi now that Ruchi is also there on the call, and I have the privilege of asking one question to her as well. So Ruchi, you've been working with Kenneth for quite some time. If I may ask you, what is your biggest learning so far? So I'll say uh, my biggest learning has been. Uh, unlearn whatever you have learned. So I came from a banking background, and then couple of AMCs. and then i met kenneth and his overall style as you mentioned at the start is very different i would say so we don't uh, talk about value growth etc i mean um, market may bucket us in any manner but from the first day when i sat with him to understand what we do and uh, what our overall uh, product scheme is till now i can say there is not a single day when i hear him there's uh, Uh, a very different style of looking at businesses his entire approach of looking at balance sheets looking at inherent uh, uh, uh you know overall ability of the business cycles and uh, how he picks businesses it's nothing to do with it's a very stand alone approach uh, one can obviously talk about it bottoms up but it's a very uh, uh, very i would say very different and i'm not saying it because i keep telling him he said you should not say it because you've been working with me for almost two decades now but as an investor and uh, even as uh, a person who would look at his style of investing from outside i would say he captures uh, trends and can uh, envisage a particular business and its overall journey you know it's a different thought process we look at businesses uh differently is what i can say and that's what we have set out here uh in couple of slides we would try to summarize today uh to um, all the viewers here in terms of how we uh look at businesses and how we look at uh, investing uh can yeah. it style of investing if i miss yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's like they are saying that if you keep on doing the same thing again and again you yeah. tend to develop some sort develop. of develop yeah Having worked with him for almost two decades, yes. probably you would understand the you know how do you go about identifying those companies at an early stage of their growth, yes. and how do you ride through those journeys is also equally important. Exactly, and and uh, there is uh, uh, as you very rightly said, when you keep doing it day to day, you know, I mean, uh, uh, you don't see it any other way. So now uh, every uh, person in the team, I can say, who has worked with Kenneth, all of us. 
there's a little impression of Kenneth in us. So when we go to, uh, uh, when we look around, so he says, look around trends. In 2007, when we were building a portfolio of consumer businesses, you know, he has this style. So all of us developed that style. You look at the Maggie batch number, you look at Page Industries batch number, you know, the inventory date and all. You pick up trends. So today you pick up the trends of QSRs, you know, so you look around how, uh, if people are talking about ESG, if people are talking, so look around uh, uh, things like waste management, water, utilities, commodity after, uh, uh, even before uh, the pandemic, he mentioned it's at a decadal low. So, you know, you you look, you you just become uh, 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 part of it, that overall thought process. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Kenneth, <laughs> yeah. So, Kenneth, this is something and I've, I've got, I think, more than 10 questions in my career and investors wanted to know, how does it happen? How does Kenneth able to identify those mega trends in a, at an early stage. So is there any anything that you can share for our benefit of our investors? <laughs> you are on mute, I think. So it's fairly simple. Um, you don't, uh, the answers are all out there, right? When you look at an entire industry and uh, the entrepreneur has stopped investing in those capacities. Someday demand is going to outstrip supply. Everyone, um, I mean, uh, go back about a year, year and a half. And I used to go out and say that the last coal-based power plant that came up in India that cut commission was in 2014. Okay, uh, today when power utilities actually do do that, or when IPP is actually doing well on a stock market perspective, it's a simple thing that demand outstrips supply because the supply didn't exist. It is not that demand grew, supply didn't exist. You just had one six month period of demand spiking somewhere and everyone scrambling around for everything else. Uh, so always look for uh, uh, under investment. And also always look at overinvestment because one of the key to success is also to avoid mistakes. And always look for overinvestment when, and it's and it's all it's all out there. It's all in cumulative balance sheets. So that's the only limited thing we do. Great, great, great amount of learning, I think. Uh, so, Ruchi, uh, uh, we'll start the presentation like you want to put up any slides. So, uh, we'll come to the topic and uh, uh, and also uh, if you could throw lights on your investment philosophy, uh, which you follow at uh, Old Bridge. Sure. I, I, I will take over, uh, Vikas, and uh, what we do is... Uh, uh, Ruchi will manage the back end of the of the presentation, sure, sure. and also chip in when she thinks uh, uh, I've missed out something. Sure. Uh, but there is a lot of conversation happening about markets being expensive, right? And we thought it would be uh, topical to uh, to look at what history has to offer us in terms of our learnings. And we've got a couple of uh, a couple of slides on that part of it all. Okay. And then uh, look at it from a forward point of view. And now when I talk about a forward point of view, I will step into the economic or the, the corporate cycle and to try and establish as to why, uh, where is the corporate balance sheet there? Uh, so we'll just tie these two things in and, uh, and, and take it forward. Uh, 
so topically enough today is everyone saying that markets are expensive uh, and at the other extreme all the ipos are getting subscribed at valuations that you haven't seen before so it's usually a herd instinct that brings the market down so and that's exactly what is happening out here uh, but if you look at three decades of uh, of uh, of of the marketplace has we uh, as we have been in right the 90s was one decade the 2000s was one decade and the third decade was uh, the decade that we came out of which was the decade of uh, uh, decade decade between 2011 and 2020 so the first decade and we we highlighted through three companies one is uh, hindustan levers and the third one is lasan and tubo now these are not a random set of companies that we picked up we picked up infi because it was the flagship of the outsourcing economy uh, we picked up lnt because it's a flagship of the uh, of of the investment economy and the third one is the flagship of the consumer economy and i'll explain this a little bit so this is what happened in the 90s infi never got subscribed the issue never got subscribed in 1993 after its ipo it traded at 25 times earnings for a very long period of time and nobody understood why it traded at that time till it traded at 200 times multiple in year 2000 okay it did extremely well in terms of profitability it became one of india's largest export earners and this is what the stock price did so during that period of time it had all the tailwinds it had the rupee depreciation it had india's largest workforce you had the y2k problem and 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 it wasn't just infosys that did well i mean all the it companies did well you look at penta media hfcl uh, dsq all those names that don't exist today okay then you also had the wipros you also you also had uh, um, uh, tcs which was not listed at that point in time you also had emphasis which was not listed at the time and there were so many other businesses that were there but this was what happened in the 90s so infi did extremely well but what the marketplace actually did during that uh, that period of time okay it actually took took the stock and it took it up to 200 time multiple and it kept it there and that that's where it happened you you priced in all future growth in perpetuity and that was how what high price earning multiples actually meant and this was an expensive market in year 2000 in in year 2000 right uh, but it was an issue that got undersubscribed but look at the other two businesses they hardly did anything so hindustan lever did a 33% return which was a great return for a 10 year for a 7 8 year period okay but lnt did nothing and which was 18% it looks high at 18% but inflation rates were were double digit at that point in time so 90s inflation rate was double digit and lnt didn't do anything at that point in time so lnt actually moved from a, a moved to almost a seven times earnings in in when infi was hitting 200 times earnings and then the cycle flipped okay the cycle flipped there was some negative news and uh, and infi actually underperformed for the rest of the decade it became almost the weakest performer along with levers okay and because you had a low priced multiple business in lnt and it had tailwinds it went on to trade at 60 times earnings so that was a p re-rating of uh, lnt and that was the de-rating of uh, Of, of of NPN and and Hindustan levers. Now the point I'm trying to prove put out here is market was expensive in 2000, but when you exited 2009, if you were in the right place, you made an enormous amount of money. If you were in the right place, so the opportunity is always there. 
Okay, and the, it's just your ability to capture those 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 cycles that are there, and and virtually the entire cycle, like I said in the past, comes through when 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 people stop investing in the business. I mean, how many con contracting construction companies did you know in 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 the nineties? Okay, uh, LNT also put up a cement plant. Okay, but finally had to sell it because the cement was not such a great business for LNT also. And that's what 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 you Ultratech and Ultratech is one of the world's largest cement company today, right? And this is the cycle that went through here. Now, when we exit two thousand and eight or January or that day, when you look at LNT at sixty times multiple, the next question was can sixty go to hundred? Okay, and and that's what happened in uh, between two thousand and eight to two thousand and twenty. Levers, which was at one point three times, gave you a less than two percent return. For a decade, actually turned out to be the best performing stock in this decade. Why? It had valuations on its side, and then it hit the growth cycle. And during that period of time, also there was only one company that actually invested in its brand, which is a company called Dabur. Everyone else, every other FMCG business actually consolidated itself. You had uh, Tata sell out of FMCGs. Okay, you had the Balsaras go out. And a lot of other smaller businesses actually got integrated with WNS, so capacities actually came down. And what you had was a slight movement, slight supply was constrained, and you had you had the consumer economy, and that's where you got it here. You never heard, and this is uh, this is contextual because uh, you never heard of any of this. Uh, you never heard of any of the NBFCs prior to two thousand and ten. Okay, and consumer finance. And consumer businesses actually led the last decade. So, Bajaj Finance came in after 2010, 11, 12. Though the foundation of the business came in before that. And by the time 2015 came afterwards, you had a horde of new companies that came in wanting to do financial services, which are which is also what is happening right now. So, the trend that we are facing out here, okay, is consumers led the economy. They are right at the top. And there's been a massive underinvestment in manufacturing. I mean, you haven't had new steel capacities come up. You haven't had new power capacities come up. And what we are facing right now is a slight shrinkage or a or a or a or a very tight supply in terms of capacities that have not been invested in. And that's what's creating an opportunity for a new cycle. Okay. So this is a distinction between. So what we're trying to say is that none of these businesses are bad, but they all go through a down cycle. And what are down cycles? Okay. Down cycles are simply the fact that price earning multiples sometimes also come down. And in this case, if you look at whether it's infield, LNT, or levers, and uh, we'll show you the next chart, which is uh, Infosys. Uh, the light blue line is infield, Infosys. Okay, uh, but while the stock price continued to go up, the price earning multiple actually came down. It adjusted to the growth. So once the business gets mature, you adjust to growth. It happened with Infosys. It's happened with LNT. Okay, and uh, and right, and this is LNT. So you you've seen LNT peak at sixty times earnings in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, and come all the way down to twelve times earnings and been between twelve and twenty times for a long period of time. And you see what has happened with levers. Levers is also traded at twenty-four times multiples in two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine. Before it's gone to almost eighty times multiple, which is where it was trading some time back. So, 
if we are in the right place at the right time valuations actually don't make don't 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 matter so much but you have to be with uh, with good companies uh, at all point in time but make sure that you get 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 them uh, uh, get them at a cyclical low and that's what our attempt has always been as far as a portfolio manager is concerned from a strategy point of view so that's the decadal shifts the three decadal shifts that we've had the other interesting slide that i have put together is about market cycles itself okay uh, we broken up the index uh, we broken up the index into three buckets one is uh, in 2008 and if you were in 2008 okay uh, corporate banks was 9.5% which is all the public sector banks including icici commodities was 7% of your index utilities was about 10% of your index which included reliance power and reliance energy etc okay capital goods was 7% telecom was 11% infra and construction was 7.5% reliance was about 15% reliance continues to be 15% today right so if you've had consensus you were just in one part of the marketplace and this was a basket so if i go back to the lnt slide uh, the lnt uh, example last time was trading at 60 times and everything aligned with that investment economy was trading at that high valuations there and the rest of the market was ignored okay so you on you had levers and itc as fmcg businesses that were in the marketplace so that were that were listed and nothing else was listed on the index at that point in time you had only one consumer nbfc which was uh, on uh, which was which was at the index and that was hdfc right you had only one private sector retail bank that was there and that was 2% of the marketplace which was hdfc bank right so this was what the marketplace looked like in 2008 okay and this was an expensive market 2008 2020 21 were an expensive market but look whether where how expensive and where where the consensus is you will figure out how where the market is expensive today today consumer nbfcs which is hdfc uh, and both the bajajs are at 9.5% of the index you had consumer banks which is 22.5% of the index which is all your consumer banks with, from hdfc to a quota to uh, to an industry in etc all 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 are there and then you have a large microfinance business which is in the uh, small caps or in the breadth of the uh, market indices then you have consumers which are very large and then you have consumer automotives which are very large and that's where all the crowding out and investor money is taking place and the ones that are completely ignored are the ones that did extremely well in the previous decade right so there's a lot of money that shifted to the other extreme so the thing is that expensive markets are okay but where would you want to be in this cycle is what what you need to choose okay there are multiple ways of interpreting this data i mean so if you get but the thing is about interpreting it right and this is our interpretation of where 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 the market cycle is currently so 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 we are there and and i think the only two things that you need to take one thing that you need to take away from these two uh, these two slides is has market leadership changed okay and if market leadership market leadership has changed okay what is the category of businesses that are leading this market leadership change that is there okay so how do i define market leadership change uh this is a slide and just concentrate on the right hand side of the market right hand side of the graph uh and these are numbers which are which you will get out of uh, of any electronic database so the slide on the right talks about the market cap 
all your FMCG companies plus your paint company. So any consumer facing business is trading at 16,50,000 crores of market cap. They delivered a PBT of 35,300 crores in March 2021. Okay. On the right hand side, another one company did the same amount of PBT and trades at 1,40,000 crores of market cap. Okay. For the same amount of profit, at one extreme, you're getting very large market cap and the other one, you're paying almost 8% of market capitalization. So, so you have to define as to where, what are the expensive markets and where is the profitability in the cycle actually moved. And this is again, a similar structure. So I can put a Hindalco there. I can put a, another metal business out there. It will come to the same thing, but I'm just taking cases out here. You just look at a JSWC EBITDA per ton and look at Maruti EBITDA per car and see who's got pricing power now. In history, whoever had pricing power had market cap. Look at who's got pricing power right now. And our sense is that uh, a company that gets pricing power will, will, will eventually get a market capitalization. And that's the shift in what we see. A profit shift is already there. The question that remains to be answered is that will market capitalizations follow? I am not saying it will follow, but this is where my portfolio is based, placed, or this is what we think has happened. And this has happened in the future. We only we are only replicating what what our experience has shown us in the future, in the past. Okay, so this is uh, this is in context of expensive markets. So you market can be expensive, but look where the denominator, where the E of the price earning multiple has moved fastest. Okay, and if you allocate money to everything that is earning money, the numerator will follow over a period of time because we as investors allocate capital, okay, to the earnings of a business to the cash flow of a business and that's how the cycle uh, the cycle will essentially play out uh, play out for us so that's where uh, i i come to in terms of uh, and that it come to in terms of uh, 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 expensive markets expensive markets i think that markets are expensive but you have to define as to where the expensive part of the market is sitting and uh, allocate capital and just be a little long term in, in in nature because you will have to go through cyclicality and you will definitely have to go through volatility of your entire underlying portfolio. Uh, now I'll, uh, I'll I'll summarize what uh, uh, I mean. Well, these have been charts of individual businesses, industries, companies, etc. And they're pure, 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 pure charts that are there in terms of price. Yeah. So I'll just make one announcement. So all those participants who have any questions, please type in your questions in Q and A box. In the meantime, we'll be having discussion and post that I'll start taking your questions. So please type your questions in Q&A box, not in the chat box. Over to you, Kelly. Thank you. Yes. So, so I just summarize it as to what we think is happening with the corporate cycle. Now, these are a lot of numbers out there, right? Uh, and uh, for all, all of us who have been out uh, for the last, uh, last three decades, uh, it makes it makes sense to go. I mean, I like going through this number at all points in time. I've been running this screener, or I would say screener, but I was running this chart ever since 2013-14, or maybe a little earlier than that. And it's uh, and it's pointed me into all the right directions. Okay. So, 
the health of a business is uh, is is known because of the leverage it has or how much indebted it is right so when a company is indebted the first thing or any individual is indebted the first thing that comes to everyone's mind is that i have to pay pay down debt right and that that is what uh, one of these columns actually state so if i point towards the total debt equity column and this is from 99 and this is the uh, nsc 500 companies minus banks okay from uh, from a debt equity of 1 uh, we went down to 0.6.7 in 2005 okay uh, before we went back to 1 in 2013 okay and then we came back to 2021 where we are back to an all time low now key to this is you you pick up your market cycle itself right uh, when you are at 0.7 and going down to 0.6 and 0.7 0.8 you probably had the biggest bull market that you've ever seen in the last cycle or you have the biggest profit growth in the cycle like which came with a lot of roes and we all extrapolated that and that's what and that's the start of the next the next capex cycle let us come i think we are in the position to do that all over again we ended 2021 with with a debt a debt equity of 0.7 if you look at most of the numbers coming through with all the commodity businesses and next time the utility businesses they will be they will be deleveraging the balance sheets even further and that's going to take us the uh, balance sheet to a very very sweet spot now this is coming at a time when your turnover or your capacity utilization is down to almost 65% and this we uh, we we notified or we signify we signal it with the asset turnover okay from an asset turnover point of view uh, we are down to 62% we went to 90% historically so you got an under leverage balance sheet and you're running at an economy of 65% this year it will be slightly higher but next year if you go to 75 and 80% with the same efficiency the amount of cash flow that this economy can throw out will be significantly large so you got cash flow coming with no incremental amount of capex probably some working capital okay and it's going to be very high in terms of capital efficiency so i wouldn't be surprised if we go to an roe column which is at 21 22% which we had in 205 so very clearly uh, we need uh, a significantly high uh, roe which i think we will come and roe is uh, i mean if you get a reasonable return on your capital okay in 20% plus it signifies 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 a lot of things it signifies the fact that industry has got pricing power okay it signifies that debt at 6% or 7% availability uh if i put if i put capital on the ground if i put new capacity on the ground at 6 and 7% cost of debt and i i'm ending up with 20% plus return on my equity the spread is almost 14 15% that i get as an entrepreneur so nothing drives capital investment as as much as as much as return on your capital and i think we are all set we are all ready for that cycle right now the more point and the key point is uh, uh, what could drive it what could drive demand and what could drive capital investment what could absorb all the capacity on the ground and there are plenty of opportunities that are surfacing up i think um, uh, here i will uh, here we don't have any slides to talk about but i think there's one single point that i want to make is 
the world's largest manufacturer has stopped selling or has stopped exporting products which are cheap okay we uh, have stopped selling deflation and if the world's largest manufacturer stops exporting deflation that means inflation is back and inflation is here to stay inflation is very good for corporate profitability specifically so from an india context where we still have some cost advantages so our bets continue to be and our place that we would like to invest continues to be on the on on businesses that can go out and create an international footprint something that the indian it sector did something that the indian pharmaceutical business has done something that the indian chemical business is doing or the agrochemical business is doing and we would have that in engineering we could have that in commodities we could have that in automotives and a whole host of other industries now remember we are not uh, we are not alone in that cycle every country around us is also participating in their areas of dominance okay so whoever has got better labor laws is participating with uh, with textiles or ready made garments business okay whoever has got natural resources and uh, and availability of quantifiable labor is driving industries that they are they are uh, they, they are competent or they have cost advantages sir vietnam is feeding into china okay bangladesh has got feeding feeding into the us and to europe indonesia and thailand have their own industries that they are doing extremely well both in terms of agro agro exports uh, and as well, as well as manufactured exports and we will also find our way into that market so i wouldn't say that this is an india specific opportunity though it appears that though it appears to be but it definitely is a larger profit cycle than we've seen before where will demand come in the long term i think that's very simple you take all the power plants in the world okay close them down and move them to renewable what has been set up over the last 150 years all has to be changed if you change your entire uh, automotive fleet that's the other large opportunity that's coming through and we will be very we will be a very large part of that uh, supply chain that's coming up okay so this opportunity exists the opportunity exists because of a reason we find ourselves or the world finds ourselves in a position where we can actually uh, we can actually deliver uh, large companies find large companies uh, bigger than what we have seen and then create the employment out here create the employment in india and uh, and create a consumer economy uh, uh, finally okay so i am reasonably optimistic i am not very comfortable with valuations but nobody is but like i said there are places uh, and I, i took you through the entire cycle there are places which are attractive you will always find it in an environment you will go through the volatility but i think when we come out at the other end it will be, be extremely uh, it will be extremely rewarding okay. i i leave, leave you with that because Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for the really a great insightful presentation. Can I get one question from my end? So, when you look at the debt to equity ratio, you know, one way of looking at it is okay, balance sheets are not over leveraged, and ratio looks good. 
But when you want to achieve this 21-22% kind of profitability that you are talking about, then you have to take capex, you have to take bigger loans, you have to take bigger projects, and that's where again the debt to equity ratio can change. Of course, it will. It will come back again. I'm not saying it's going to be there perpetually. I say you got a four-year window where it will not increase. You have to move your utilization from 65% to 90%, right? Why would I expand if I'm not utilizing my capacity? But by the time I hit 90% utilization, think about the cash flow I'm going to check. With. I, okay, so I've never said that we're not going to... That debt will come back. It's a cyclical play. Promoters at the top of the market put in more capacity than is required. So, what is, so, so I, I say this. Supply comes in. When supply comes in, every there's nobody who brings in supply 10% per annum, right? Everyone puts in a brownfield capacity that brings in 50% more capacity or a greenfield which brings in 100% more capacity, right? So supply will always move by 50% and 100%, but demand will only increase by 8% per annum. So we are in that sweet spot wherein if demand increases, we've got capacity on the ground that can feed the demand and that will generate your profitability. But if you, back, yeah, if you go back to 2015-16, a lot of people had the similar sort of anticipation that you know the uh, the, the underutilized capacity would move and then things will turn around. But it never happened. So if you yes. ask it. It's just about timing. It's just about timing. And you've seen it happen. I mean, 2020 and 21, you've seen it happen, right? Capacity is people who are expecting it come, it didn't come. But if you had the patient, it came. And you can see it happening in all your stock prices right now. Agreed. And the other thing is, can it, if you look at the global market, especially or US markets, etc., you know, uh, this is one question which I wanted to ask you is, uh, you know, if you look at the construction of, of the NASDAQ index or maybe some of the large their companies, their technology companies play a very, very important role. But unfortunately, in India, look at uh, that is one area which is, I believe, is highly underutilized or not gone to the large extent of the way they have gone. So, what are your views on that? Um, so, the composition of the US market will also change. It's not going to remain where what it is, what has been in the past. So, remember, uh, Amazon exited 2009 from 2001 to 2009 with a flat stock price. After that, it's done what it did. Okay, Apple before the iPhone was nothing. And then innovation brought them to what they are right now. So they also went into an investment cycle. So Amazon, it's not that Amazon didn't do anything between 2001 to 2009. It went into an investment cycle where cap its capital getting employed was at was was gen, was generating a lower ROE. Till it started capturing the market. Okay, uh, so if you look at all the steel companies, whether it's the Indian ones or whether it's ArcelorMittal, they went into a capex cycle or they went into a restructuring cycle where they made their processes extremely efficient before they got this profitability that came through, and no capacity came through. So the question is, do you think that in India, <coughs> government uh, especially plays very important role? So they should really look at NBFCs, giving license to NBFCs, who can really go out and 
give larger loans so that the large project can come in because last decade was a lost ground decade for us and not heard any large project or large plant setting up in india and the overall profitability is improving actually because there is a reason for that infrastructure it's not that infrastructure projects didn't come up infrastructure projects over the last decade earned lower than the cost of capital so you could have put as many nbfcs or as you could have thrown as much money as you wanted to to, to those projects but if they are not profitable why should anyone put them together so india's bigger problem is we can't put in too much of capital on the ground because people are not willing to pay for it and people are not willing to pay for it because our per capita gdp is only 2000 dollars so you have to move per, per capita gdp to 3 and a half thousand dollars before you can see them pay for all for for civic amenities because that was the inflection point for every single developing country that was there so it's not that we needed large project we didn't need we needed large project but nobody was willing to pay for them today if everyone going to be willing to pay for them then it's fine we will have large projects and you will see that come up because you are willing to pay 110 rupees for petrol today right so which will mean that if the day you stop uh, which day you can't afford that price and electric vehicles are going to be cheaper the movement to electric electric vehicles is going to come through right uh, the movement to electric vehicles is going to come through because of commercial reasons it's not going to come through because the government is forcing it to do it if you look at uh, uh, kerit between 2002 to 2009 uh, i don't know what china did all things right or put together everything their economy grew from 2.5 trillion dollar to 77.5 trillion what are the three four triggers that you see uh, uh, going ahead next decade i am talking if we look at 90s 2000 2010 so what are the three four things that you look at uh, can happen or trigger points in the, in the in the decade to come in this decade it's all there cost of finance which is the cheapest it's ever been for india subsidies which is the highest that you've ever seen before okay and export incentives which is the highest that you've ever seen before okay and the fourth large one is uh, the fact that you've got a global market right now i think it's decade you don't have to look for triggers they already happened Okay. So we'll take the question now. Uh, so the first question is, uh, how long this expansion cycle will expand? That's question from Piyush. Hmm. This could last almost a decade. Okay. Right now we're just filling the gap that the Chinese have vacated. And when I say we, as in we, India, along with all other countries that exist, okay, are filling the gap that the Chinese have existed. So, so what happens is um, India's largest cement plant or cement com- company is Ultra Tech with 140 million tons of cement. Right? So, US consumes 90 million tons of cement only. So, what happens if US actually has a very large infrastructure rollout? India manufactures two times the amount of steel that the US manufactures because they used to import everything. so the growth driver and the growth engine is somewhere around we just have to anchor ourselves around that growth engine 
you might all have different opinions about it all i mean be very clear as to what we want to do and how we want to anchor it but i think growth is coming and this is going to be very long so don't worry about how long it will be first let the valuation show up and i showed you that one chart on where valuation stand in a certain industry versus a company so even the profitability matrix is shift don't worry about how long it will last i think by the time everyone figures out how long it will last you will already made significant amount of capital so the next question is a uh, excellent understanding expensive defined by what numbers corporate cycle which phase and turn around signal identified by which number and factors i think it's clearly profitability okay we are not investors who are going to uh, see a lot of investors a lot of our investors also can't stomach a 20% down cycle or an underperformance in their portfolios okay and there are a lot of investors so if you and 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 you will keep meeting investors who say they are long term but once there is a 20% correction or once you underperform on the marketplace they are very averse to the market cycle right but the same amount of investors are investing in companies that are losing money okay that dichotomy i can never understand because you are on this entire uh, so investors are supposed to take money out of the business okay entrepreneurs are supposed to put money into the business so you have to have a venture capital or a private equity mindset to fund these companies okay my job is my job and the fixed income market job or a public manager of of businesses is supposed to make sure that companies will will companies have to pay me back in terms of higher profits every year okay because it's not in my dna to keep funding these companies for their losses uh, you spent 30 years in the market kenneth and you saw you know entire indian market uh, uh, getting consolidated and then you know shifting up further now if i may ask you do you see that the indian economy has a potential to become 10 trillion dollar uh, economy in terms of size 10 15 years down the line so we are 20% of the world gdp uh, world population and 3% of the gdp so there's got to be a rebalancing somewhere okay i won't want to put a number to it but for for all our our i think uh, for all hopefully and it should happen over a longer term period uh, there will be a realignment of uh, of the capital gdp that will happen what number i have no idea yeah so if you look at the current size and calculate then it comes to 18 trillion I mean, I'm talking about from a current number perspective. So, hmm. yeah, what you yes. say is right. There would be a. Do you? What What are the concerns that you see next decade? Do you see some geopolitical risk coming to uh, on our way, especially between India, China, Pakistan? This triangle becoming more tough, uh, difficult to handle. I think extreme nationalism is going to be a concern that we will all grapple with, and the second is the uh, environment. both put together can be a very deadly cocktail okay environments going to hurt everything in the long run do uh, you think that the balancing rebalancing will happen i mean if not now maybe 10 years 15 years down the line 